Yeah. What's up? What's up? Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of All Over VoiceOver with Kiff VH. Thank you so much for joining us. I am your host, Kiff VH, and this week, All Over VoiceOver is being brought to you in part by our friends over at Bookable Voice Coaching and Demos. They provide one-on-one coaching, demo production, workshops, and VO workouts. Guys, Bookable is your place to give your VO career the jumpstart or the tune-up it needs. Check out uh, check them out and everything they offer at www.bookablevo.com and sign up to receive updates and get more info about how they can uh, help make you grow. Bookable voiceover demos and coaching. Thank you so much for your support, you guys. And thank you to my amazing guest in the studio here in the uh, the Suede Blue Lounge, the lovely, the talented Miss August McLaughlin. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me, Kip. I'm really honored to be here. It's just great to like be able to sit and talk with you in this context. Like you're a fellow podcaster here at Global Voice Broadcasting with your show Girl Boner, yes. and uh, that's how we met. Like I think maybe six months ago. God. Yeah, yeah. So we're like podcast siblings, or something. we are. That's exactly. Exactly what we are. We're like, we are podcast. It's like Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> we kind of even look like we could be siblings. We're both from the we Midwest. Do. We've got like the Scandinavian sort right. of. Are you Scandinavian? Yeah, Dutch. My people are Dutch. There you go. What's what's your are you are you straight up Scandinavian or where are your people from? I'm actually half Swedish, about a quarter, a little more than a quarter Norwegian. I have a little Dutch. Yeah, some pretty pretty darn Scandinavian. Although my mom grew up in India, so I had that influence wow. in my life all all the way from you know. Was that was that was she? Did she grow up in there because of the war and stuff, or was it what was my 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 ex wife's father was in a prison camp in I think Indonesia when he was like two. Like the family, his father was captured, and the family was there. And the reason I bring that up is like the family absorbed like some of the cuisine into it. So it's like Dutch food, but yeah. with Natsagoran, you know, like yes, this crazy exactly. sort of max, mashup that's residual from the war. Totally. Actually, my grandparents were missionaries. Oh. And their parents were missionaries as well. And so my mom grew up in India in a little town called Assam up in the jungle. Uh-huh. She was there until she was 16. So Hindi and uh, English and also Assamese, which was like their tribal language. Yeah. She grew up speaking all of those fluently. And so she feels a lot more connected to that culture. And we grew up eating curries and, you know, wearing saris yeah. sometimes and, you know, listening to Bollywood music in the middle of Minnesota. It was kind of really weird, but my normal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. What a, It's just an interesting integration of, of those cultures into – an otherwise sort of homogenized culture, you know? Very much so. Especially now it's become more diverse, the area that my family lives yeah. in. But at the time, and I've joked that I felt like when we moved to suburbia when I was like about eight years old, yeah. that it was like Stepford Wives. Like walking into the sea of also very Scandinavian-looking children who yeah. wore brand-name clothes that all kind of looked similar. And I felt so alien to that. It was yeah. really kind of shocking. So I didn't realize until later what a gift it was to grow up with that kind of diversity because we even thought that we were related to people in India because you call them auntie and uncle, you know, out of just love and respect. Right. So they are family. I mean, we have technically, quote unquote, family there, just not blood relatives. Yeah. I love that. I love the notion of the redefinition of family. Like, you know, Sherry, uh, my wife, has like one of her closest she always referred to her as her cousin, but she's not actually blood related. She's a cousin of her cousins, but they connected. And, yeah. you know, so like, uh, they're just, they're part of our, our family. And it's, it was, you know, it was really interesting as a, as a, as a white, very white, uh, you know, Dutch, uh, descendant growing up in, in Cutlerville and Grand Rapids, Michigan yeah. and, and, reintegrating or not reintegrating but integrating my family in with Sherry's family and becoming part of and being family and it's yeah. you know it's it's a uh, I don't know I think it's important that we open ourselves to redefine that even now is like I felt that traveling like overseas too I went to Sweden last year and like the the feeling of oh man like uh, redefining what it meant to be an American mm. 
You know, like yeah. I, I didn't re- I didn't feel I felt like an outsider until I got to past like customs and then saw like a really group, a really diverse group of Americans. who was like my countrymen. Yeah. You know, yeah, like totally there's there was an African-American dude. And then like, uh, you know, uh, there was a, a couple, you know, the one the woman had like a red dot on her forehead. So I, I don't know exactly what to assume, but it was they were we all had American passports and that was what was defining us. Yeah. You know. So interesting. I agree. And I think being in, we were just talking about the artist communities yeah. and, you know, it's so interesting to me how many of my friends and peers who are fellow creatives, not all of them, sadly, are as accepted by their families. Yeah. You know, in other states, maybe they don't think that their career path is as legitimate because they've been cultured to mm. believe that it's not, you know, a nine to five job or whatever. Right. Um, or they left, you know, their countries to come here and pursue something in, in the arts in LA. And I think it's really amazing. I remember one Thanksgiving, my acting coach, I used to be an actress, uh-huh. uh, invited all of us to this kind of, you know, I can't remember what he had a great name for it, but it was basically like, we're all adopting each other as family for Thanksgiving. And it was yeah. all these artists just binding together. And I think finding your family, you know, blood and not blood is is a powerful thing. Yeah, it really is. Your sort of sense of tribe and, you know, we, we have a group of, of people we get together every Thanksgiving with and have since we got here. And they, you know, this couple, they're actors and they open their house and they're like, come, no, we're having Thanksgiving here if you don't have a place to go. That's so nice. And then, and then you know, it becomes like... We're, Orphan like, Thanksgiving, that's what it was Orphan called. Orphan Thanksgiving. That's <laughs> Which awesome. sounds a little bit more negative than... Well, I don't know. I, I think orphan has stigma around it. Sure. But I think I love the idea of embracing just as your friends do. Yeah. Our, our home is your home. That's it. Yeah. Here we are. We're all far away from, from that, so who's to define what family is? Yeah. And that, you know, now it's it's like, do you want to go home for Thanksgiving? Well, I am. Yeah. Here I am. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't need to go anywhere yeah. as much as I'd love to see my my relatives sure. and my, you know, my immediate family and stuff. It's like these are my family and and this is and we've made a home here, you know? I yeah. mean, it's interesting. It's an interesting city in that it it's a beacon for for people who are sort of adrift or looking for places to Yes. To sort of find and make their own and especially people in, in this career or, you know, whether it's whether it's acting or whether it's modeling or whether it's writing or cr- just creating, yeah. you know, this space. I read somewhere, I forget, maybe LA Weekly, I forget what it was, but it was, a, it was an essay about Los Angeles as a blank canvas that doesn't care what you put on it. Oh, I love that. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter. All that it says is that come here, put your mark on it and it's fine. It's yeah, good. Yeah. And you'll either you'll either benefit or you'll or you won't, but you know, um come and try. Step up to that. it. Here's a paintbrush, here's a paintball. <laughs> here's mixed media, do what <laughs> you do. Magic. Yeah, I yeah. love that. That's so interesting because I remember I lived a lot of places before I came here. Yeah. And including the place I grew up, this Los Angeles was the first place that I got to and thought this feels like home. Yeah. And I didn't really know anybody. But I just felt that. And I think maybe it's because of that. There's this kind of open, you're welcome, be creative, be yourself. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. What, what led you here? What, what brought you to LA? I mean, you were just, just, I want, well, let me, I'm jumping so far ahead. Let me, let me backtrack if you're comfortable. I'd love to start with what, what got you out of, out of Minnesota to go out into the, you know, sure, into the 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 big beyond Minnesota world. Yeah. I actually grew up, kind of with my head out the window the whole time thinking I I had dreams of traveling and going to these places I'd never seen. And I grew up in a big family and Mm -hmm. our vacations were like going to the cabin on the lake. And it was a beautiful upbringing. I'm still really close to them. But I always had this sense, maybe from my mom growing up in India, that you know I wanted to venture out. And I didn't know what for. Mm. But when I graduated high school... I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Mm. And, you know, they're asking you all these questions and you're supposed to make all these decisions. And I had been modeling a little bit because I was very involved in theater in high school. And that was such a huge part of my life. And that sort of led into an opportunity to do some local modeling. Great. So I had applied to one college at the time because... I think it basically my parents are so cool. They didn't like try to force me to do anything, but my dad was just kind of like, "Hey, just in case you need some sort of backup plan or 
why don't you just fill out this paper? Like I, I, you know, I signed up for something. I don't even remember what I wrote. And I was going to like take how to bake cookies or something because I didn't, <laughs> I had no idea. Um, you but need I, to have a marketable skill. Yes. Even if it's baking cookies, you people know, will eat them. That's true. So. That is true. That is inspiring. And if that had been my passion, I would have totally done that. Absolutely. I just had all this. I, it was weird. I felt like I had all this passion for no, nothing. Like huh. this sort of like, I don't know where to place this. But modeling was the closest thing I'd found to... I felt like I stepped out of myself and it was like performance based, but I was very insecure as a lot of teenagers are, a lot of teenage girls are for many reasons. But I also felt this sort of sense of when I was modeling, like I could sort of play a character who was confident. Hmm. And even though I still I still don't know much about fashion and certainly didn't know anything then, I loved the cameras and the the escape, the performance. And so I was offered a contract to go model with one of the best agencies in the world right out of high school. Wow. So I took that. I moved to New York City. And it was like my second time out of Minnesota or something. Yeah. And uh, it was culture shock that I totally wanted. Yeah. It was just like people were warning me, like, you're going to be so freaked out, blah, blah, blah. It was just like a movie. Like I walked out and I'm like, I've seen this before. <laughs> and uh, I was totally intimidated. My, my roommates, I thought, were just – so hip and cool. They're from all over the world. And I felt yeah. like this gawky farmer girl. And uh, But I was really committed and driven and maybe too driven in some ways because, um, as I think you know, I ended up developing a pretty severe eating disorder. Mm. But I was diagnosed with that when I was living in Paris mm. and then went back to Minnesota, thought I would like dabble in treatment. <laughs> like I'll get uh-huh. fixed in a couple of weeks. Right. And it, it, it's a much longer, more complex journey than that. And I did end up getting back into modeling once I got more stable in my, my wellness and with the hopes and vision for acting because – through the healing process, I started to realize I had all this creative juice and I wanted some more meaning in my life. And I felt like I was kind of wasting it away. Like, what am I doing out here doing, like having my photo taken and disliking myself? Like, that's not a passion. Hmm. And I'd lost all this ambition because I was just in this very self-destructive space. So as I healed, acting was such a beautiful therapeutic thing for me. It was stronger than therapy. And I thought I found like my calling. And I was in Miami and I'd been modeling and uh, took my first film TV acting class. Uh-huh. And I just thought, this is it, and set my sights on L.A. And then once I was able to, in my opinion, afford to move to Los Angeles, <laughs> I I made the jump. And it's been, I think, uh, 10-ish years. That's great. Yeah. That's great. It's, I mean, that's so interesting to, to, to one of the things that you said that really pinged my ear was about how how the acting worked it worked it how the acting worked it in, <laughs> how the acting worked in conjunction with the with the help that you were seeking mm-hmm. and that it was just as if not more helpful in that way yeah to help you you know discover uh, a path to wellness yeah it really was it was powerful because Again, there was this dissociation that I was experiencing, which I think a lot of people go through, especially if they've struggled with, because I was struggling with depression and body dysmorphia and all the things that come with that and trying to, you know, get to the root of all this stuff and had been in a really kind of toxic relationship mm-hmm. and all of these things. It's, it's like it's too much to deal with. Yeah. And when I could, again, step into a character, I would do scenes and monologues. I could feel like I was dealing with these emotions, you know, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I was so obsessed with the character study and all my journals were like studying the characters and writing about the characters. And I think that I was kind of geared to be a writer. You know, that was perfect training for writing. Like all of my, I was sitting in an acting class here in Los Angeles and I had written a short film um, about my eating disorder experience, but fictionalized. And Mm -hmm. it actually got picked up for, it was optioned by a production company, which was amazing. Yeah, And I was excited. But then a beat later, I started to feel a little heart sick and I couldn't figure out why, you know, they, they took over the project basically. Yeah. So I thought, well, is that just ego? Like, no, they're in charge. But it wasn't that. It was that I wanted to keep writing it. Hmm. So that turned into my first novel, which is a thriller. Uh And I realized I had this big aha moment that I'm a writer and I'm just somebody who dives in. So I'm like screaming it from the – like a lot of people are like like, embarrassed they're writers. And I was like telling everyone on the street, like, hello, I'm a writer. (laughs) And uh, 
before I was making even a dime at it, which took a little time. Yeah. But that's, again, just kind of how I function. So I started submitting myself to um, different publications. And first, I created a, a free column. I, I pitched it to this magazine that had featured me as an actress. And I said, hey, uh, remember me? I noticed you don't have a health and wellness section. Can huh. I please write this to build up credits? Yeah. And so that was kind of the start of my um, health and sexuality writing career and led me to, to where I'm at. That's fantastic. Thank you. So just by just that sense of feeling like I need to get my words out and I need to keep getting my words out. Yeah. And, and to sustain to myself, you know, yeah. I just I've never bought into I, I know that there's not a lot of predictability in artistic careers. Yeah. But I think there's a big problem that we've all been we've all been taught that. It's not where you can make money. It's not a quote unquote real job. Now, I didn't get that from my parents, but I mm. certainly you can sense it in the world. Like my parents yeah. were always just like, do what makes you happy. And it's such a gift and, and remains a gift. Yeah. But I just knew that. And <laughs> again, kind of leaping too quickly sometimes. But I learned the hard way in some ways that you need to plan a little bit at least. But I have always been able to get up off my feet. And like, if you really, really believe that you can thrive you will. Yeah. 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 You, that that energy and commitment of feeling like that's this. It's it was a it was a tremendous motivator for for me when I was sort of stuck in a in a market where uh, we couldn't afford to get out of. Yeah. And and um, you know, and just kind of feeling like not necessarily a failure. You look back over the things that I'd accomplished already, and I know I know that I'm I'm not a failure. But I'm but but at the moment I can't make rent and I'm selling DVDs to do that. Yeah. And not selling DVDs that I made, but see it, you know, DVDs right. that we bought and taking them to FYE and exchanging yeah. for cash and that kind of stuff. And that that sort of humbling part of it, mm -hmm. you know, there there is this sense of, you know, I don't know. It's I, like I come not back, being authentic or something. Yeah, in a way, mm -hmm. I feel like feeling that way. Yeah, this sense of you know, oh man, I, I suck, and everybody's right about mm. this path, and that this path is fraught with challenges. But you know, from the outside, how hard this particular path is, and this is the nature of that hardness. Yes. So you gotta walk through it. Yes. If you you know you walk down if you're. It's like the Sepulveda Pass. If you come over, come <laughs> totally. over the 405 down into the valley, you're going to go down into the valley. Yes. And all that happens when you go down the valley is you notice how tall the mountain is. Mm. And you go, oh, that mountain sure is tall. But you're not going to be able to recognize how tall it is unless you're at the bottom. Yes, I love that. That you know? is so perfect. And you get through it if you keep going. You just keep going. Yeah. You figure it out. There's this Whether it's a safety net or whether it's – it's hustle or being creative. And that's one of the things that helps you as a creative person is that you're brainstorming constantly. You're working through things and trying to figure out, oh, man, well, this isn't working or or I haven't booked something or mm -hmm. I booked something and it just hasn't paid yet. And I'm trying to get cover. You know, right. what whatever that situation is, it's there's just no the, shame. There's no shame in it. Mm -mm. There can't mm -hmm. be. The only yeah. shame, the only shame is stopping. Yes. Stopping creating. Because yeah. if you're a creator, that's what you need to be doing. It's so true. It's soul food. It's it's the emotional pay, yeah. you know, that has to – for me, I get sick if I'm not being creative and I'm not yeah. following my passions or seeking passions or living with, with desire for what I'm doing. And that's not – you know, it's, it's one of those things. That ha it's a blessing and a curse sometimes because when you're that sensitive as so many artistic people are, yeah. it, it – physically and men and mentally hurts to to be in certain spaces and so having you know those temporary jobs or whatever it is to work your way out of too can be a huge yeah. blessing absolutely to be like i'm this is for now and later i'm going to tell great stories about this right yeah. i'm going to learn more from doing this mm -hmm. job i got one of the greatest the greatest stories and life lessons and experience out of that time when i was in cleveland um, and it was probably, you know, what I had said at the time, the worst job I'd ever had. And I was playing a coffee cup in front of a Dunkin' Donuts at 6 o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. on Valentine's Day it was in Cleveland, which tells you exactly how cold it was. Oh, I do know. stand there in a thin foam coffee cup waving at traffic. Oh. And I'm standing there and Sherry is standing there next to me as I'm waving at traffic to keep kids from throwing snowballs at me. Because I'm a costume character. 
and uh, and we were and it was uh, it was an hour and a half job, and I made thirty bucks an hour, but it was for an hour and a half, and my agency got twenty percent. And we were just, you know, it's like, this is what you do. Yeah. And I'm standing there. Talk, I, I remember saying to the lady, what does this character say? And she says, nothing. He is a genderless mute. So you're like, okay, I, I'm, I'm a member of sag after and equity. I've been on the Second City main stage. I have performed in video games and movies. And I am now, today, a coffee cup waving at traffic. And genderless mute coffee cup. <clears throat> and I'm a genderless cup. mute. But I disregarded the note of being a genderless mute. <laughs> And I was a very masculine coffee cup uh, who, who recited lines. That is like an indie film scene. I, that is really amazing. Here's where the lesson was, was I turned to Sherry through this stupid face. No disrespect, of course, to the good people at Dunkin' Donuts and their corporate mascot, Cuppy. However, uh, from the inside of that character, I said to Sherry through the googly eyes, uh, this is the worst job that I've ever had. And at – I still <laughs> – I still get emotional about it because uh, because of what I learned in that moment. And it's made me a better performer because of it. I said that. This is the worst job I've ever had. And a car pulls up into Dunkin' Donuts and this guy gets out with like his three-year-old daughter who runs over to me and puts her arm around me in front of a Dunkin' Donuts. And the guy goes, oh, man, you just made her day. Come on, sweetie. Let's go inside. Aww. And that was when I realized that just because Cuppy – isn't my demographic that I'm not interested in and I'm not entertained by that. Someone is. Mm. And my job as an actor, whether I'm entertaining millions of people in a, you know, with a small role in a movie or on a TV series for Netflix or in a freaking parking lot outside of Dunkin' Donuts. If I'm an actor, I act and I perform for whoever is there. Mm, that's beautiful. You know, and beautiful. that to me, that's helped me redefine the job and that got me out of the place that I was in, in that market, and it helped me to motivate to to grow and continue and not feel like either a failure or a struggling whatever. I, I take a great deal of inspiration from the movie The Untouchables, mm. where Sean Connery says, you know, Mr. Ness, what are you prepared to do? Huh? He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He puts one of yours in the hospital, you put one of his in the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And prepare to do whatever the law will allow. And then what are you prepared to do? You're going to hit obstacles over and over and over again. And what defines you is how you either leap on over or dig under or walk around or burst through. Beautiful. You know? That's amazing how much one experience like that can really? have such a powerful and that it was an experience that you weren't enjoying and that it's no. become this huge I mean, that little girl was like an angel. That's yeah. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. that's pretty incredible. You know? So anyway. Yeah. I'm inspired. Good. I'm glad. That's beautiful. Thank you. It was, you know, it's tough. But we've, we've you know, here you sit mm -hmm. 10 years later going through stuff. And yeah. well, well, let me let me ask this question because I'm very I'm very curious about the transition between talk, talk me through Girl Boner, the uh, the blog that you created in your writing process. And then in particular, making the transition to podcasting and to hosting a show. Like, um, and we've talked about this before, but I, I think my audience would really enjoy to hear this, your, your story in that way. What sure. So I was already working as a writer, health and, uh -huh. health and sexuality both, and had written my novel, living here in Los Angeles. And I started a blog because my literary agent was like, start a blog. So, <laughs> and I thought this is going to yeah. be horrible because, like, I wanted extra homework. That's what I thought. Like, I'm doing right. this for free. No one's editing it. La, 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 la. Right. And, but I thought, you know, I'm dedicated, going to do what I have to do. This is my career. I started blogging and really took to it and realized that I didn't have to stick to any particular topic. You know, mm. that's not really my personality. Yeah. So I just decided to write about whatever I wanted to. And sometimes it was about writing. Sometimes it was about wellness. Sometimes it was about my dog. It was just whatever I was thinking about at the time. Yeah. And I decided along the way, I had a few kind of awakenings or kind of those aha moments because healing and growing, you know, we're all on this whole discovery path. And the more I went along in my life, the more I realized how powerful embracing my sexuality had been. Mm. It really is what helped me heal from the eating disorder, which started as anorexia and was near fatal. Wow. And then went into during recovery, 
which, again, is a whole process. I went through binge eating and all kinds of things. And it took me a good about 10 years. But the most powerful turning point was when I realized that I had not been sexually empowered and that Mm. there was shame around my sexuality. And then realizing that that I was not like this sole unique case, (laughs) you know, that it's epidemic, especially for women, but for people in general in our culture. And so as a writer and as a creative artist, you know, we're always we have our medium. And then for me, I've always turned to the arts to to hopefully do some kind of good and whatever I believe in. And it gives me a real sense of purpose to be able to think that, you know, maybe somebody might be either entertained or helped or whatever. Yeah. And so I knew that I had to do something. And I already had this blog going and girl boner had been a term that was sort of like this inside joke for me for years and years, because in sex ed, when I was a kid, you know, you have like one class. Yeah. And right. uh, <laughs> which is like really not one very day, helpful. It's a unit and it's the, the physical mechanics of sex. The yes. physical mechanics of hygiene, and that's it. Yeah, and and so, and a few little fear points about like here's the disease you don't want to get. Uh-huh. Here's the other gross disease, and you never want to use a public toilet seat, and you know basically yeah. don't get pregnant, and you know, all these things. Right. So, but what I realized, we learned about uh, male pleasure a little bit. Uh-huh. We didn't learn anything about women's female pleasure, and so I had wondered what about girl boners since I was like 11, and I was always very <laughs> curious. But I also knew that it was like this totally taboo thing. And I couldn't right. like run up to my teacher and be like, hey, what about my pleasure down in my vagina? You know, right. that's not exactly something you can say. And so I just thought until I actually became sexually active, I had no idea it was going to happen. Like, yeah. is it because I basically learned that men have pleasure and women are supposed to like, you know, keep this from be them. Be the facilitator. Be the facilitator the only if you want to have a kid and after you're married, you know, all these rules. Wow. So. As I was writing and decided I'd do something with the term girl boner, I thought that has to be the name of my series. So I applied to trademark the term and then launched it as a blog series thinking like, you know, this will be a book someday. That's what I was thinking because I'm a writer and that's what I would do. But it very quickly took on a life of its own and I realized that it was much more than that. And so it's become my brand and I my blog following was you know I had good quality followers I had wonderful people who were interactive and and yeah. supportive and they still are and I'm so grateful and those are the most important um, connections for me I think yeah but it just took my it gave my stats a girl boner um I started to get so <laughs> many people listening and not only listening or not, not listening yet reading and following along and contacting me on social media and emailing me privately and saying, oh, my God, me too. How come I never knew this? And so I was starting to – it's funny because I actually sat down with a publicist at a conference and she asked me about my five-year plan. And I'm just sort of like very in the moment and here I go. Like there's my direction. And so I did not have a five-year plan. I had like a two-day plan. And so I'm like, I'm at this conference and then I'm at this conference. So (laughs) (laughs) – Right. And once I get home, I don't know what. I probably have – depends – my flight lands around 10.30, so I think it'll be like, a bedtime snack. Maybe, but... yeah, maybe a muffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's exactly. not exactly what she was asking. <laughs> so I just made up stuff. You know, I sat down and I thought, well, what would I really like to have happen? Yeah. So I thought I would like to, in the next year, I said I would like to appear on five radio shows. And it was really interesting because I don't know if this is like the power of attraction or just how things were rolling and it just coincidentally happened at this time. Yeah. But a week later, I had a phone call. And somebody I'd met at a conference had a radio show and wanted me to appear. Very quickly after, I had three more appearances. And these were all – I didn't reach out for these. I didn't ask for them. They asked me. Wow. And the fifth, fourth one was um, Dr. Lisa Masterson, who has a show here at Global Voice Broadcasting uh-huh. called Health and Heals, which is fabulous. And she's a gynecologist, and she uh, was on the TV show The Doctors for a while. Okay, I yeah. interviewed her for an article, and her publicist asked me if I would come in and be on her new podcast. And I was like, awesome. So that was my fourth interview. My fifth was my show because after I left here and I'm like on cloud nine, like this is, we were just talking, we love this space so much and we have such a great time. And uh, when her publicist called me and said, Hey, have you ever thought about having your own show? Like, have you thought about it? And like, I'm like, Oh my God, I need my own show. Yeah. And that was it. That's fantastic. Thank you. I I had a similar experience of coming here and doing, I think it was the young actors theater camp with John Ainsworth, who was one of my students at second city. Nice. And I came in and sat where you're sitting right now and, and did it and then left after meeting Gabe was like, addiction. Wonder. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a wonderful experience. It is. It is. And I, it's just so special and intimate and it's, 
I think that if it's something that is that is in you to do, yeah. when you get a taste of it, you just you really long for it in such a beautiful way to cultivate conversations mm. and it's so it has a beautiful intimacy about it. It really truly does. Well, what what was your process for um for not only uh, in terms of the the nuts and bolts preparation for doing a show, but like what how did you get to a place where you were you know, there there's you know, I mean, since largely since the focus of my of my particular show as a conversation piece is let's talk voiceover work. But in 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 particular, uh, what I'm what I'm really interested about with with your dynamic is not only the fact that you have a background in theater and that you are a writer too. That there's uh, that there was a, a calling at that moment to like I want to. Mm-hmm. pursue this so so yeah. what was your what was your process of making that from your fourth appearance on radio to fifth to procuring the space and then putting the show together and what how how does someone well not how does someone do it but what was your how path? did I do it that's a great question so after I had that phone call I pretty much knew like instinctually this is something I want to do yeah. but then there's like the logistics of it right yes. so yes. I was thinking I knew for sure I would not be one of those people who would, which I think it's great if you can do your own podcast from your house and you know how to do all the technical stuff and you're cool with that. That was just not in me. I did not. I thought if I'm going to do all that stuff, I probably won't ever do it. That's it. And I feel like a a lot of challenges, the, the biggest challenge I felt too is if I went down that road, I would not sustain it. I would do maybe yeah. five or six episodes and might never post anything and then it would taper off. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Or you get stuck on something technically yeah. and you just kind of like give up and it's just frustrating or – and I just – I loved the experience of coming in here so much yeah. too. I think there's a magic about being in the studio and not having like a super – there are wonderful podcasts that are very, very edited, and I think that's great. But for me, I wanted something more candid where we just sit down and we talk and we get in and yeah. people feel like they're here with us. And so I knew that I want – there was no question I wanted to do it here. Yes. So then it was like, you know, there are fees involved and all this stuff. So then I'm thinking, how much can I, you know, afford right now? And, you know, it's reason- very reasonably priced here. But it's also when you're committing to something that's going to be – you know, you want to make sure that the investment is wise and how are you doing this and blah, blah, blah. Right. So – I at first I thought I was going to do two a month. I thought I'm going to try two a month, really put my all into it, yeah. and then see. Like I don't know, are people going to listen? I think I'm going to love it, but who knows? But after the first one, I was like, I think I just need to come back again tomorrow. I didn't, but um, <laughs> I I never stopped though. Like I just I've been there's been maybe I actually took a very like grown up step and took off a week for Christmas, and uh-huh. I like, but I really I barely ever miss, and um, it's just it's become such a passion. So the actual first episode, I decided it would make a lot of sense for it just to be me to like uh-huh. introduce a show, and I decided to tell the story that inspired Girl Boner, which was how I started my blog series as well. Because the nice thing about having the blog series was I already had somewhat of an audience who I hoped would listen, but I also knew what topics tended to be most interesting to them. Because on the blog, they reply more. Because I write about sexuality, they're still very hush-hush for the most part. Like, Mm. some are vocal, but some just talk to me privately, and that's okay. But I can see which posts were the most popular, what was kind of, like, hitting a nerve with people in a good way. So I started – and beyond the first episode, I didn't know what I was going to do next. But I was was comfortable with that. Like, that was okay with me. Some people plan out many episodes in advance, and that's great, too. Um, But for me, the style, I like to feel, like, really fresh. And now I book ahead. But I started out – so I think my second episode was one of my most – popular topics again. And then I had like my first guest come in and I didn't actually know I'd interviewed people a lot and I still do for articles, but I had never done this, like interviewing someone in the studio. So my first guest was actually a friend of mine who is a professional matchmaker. Oh, wow. And I thought that was, that's a good one because she's coming in. We're like pals and it was so fun. And I just thought, you know, this is just flowing well. So that's, that's kind of the process. And then now People reach out to me a lot more. Like over time, that's just naturally what generally happens is people start pitching show ideas to you and some I take and some I don't. But I really try to stay true to the message and think like what is the most powerful, empowering topic? You know, what I try not to – even though I have had a wonderful time interviewing some celebrities, I also really want to always have space and treasure the voices of the the quote-unquote everyday woman. Yeah. So the variety is important to me. Yeah. 
I've, it's one of the things that I really appreciate about your show is is not only the diversity of topics and but like just the the honesty and the challenges that folks face and and the the episode I was listening to yesterday I think is the most recent episode where you posted about about the the person who's who's on her journey on their journey with uh, their daughter and and uh, oh man I'm sorry was it the so, pelvic health. No, it was it was the gender neutral bathrooms. Oh yes, Casey, Casey Brown. That's right. I love Casey. Yes, that was really important to me because there have been these bathroom bills lately. Yeah. So sometimes they're they're news related, you know, things that come up. Yeah. Um, but I especially love it when there's a topic that is somewhat controversial, not because of the controversy, but because I feel like there needs to be education from the people who are dealing with it. Yeah. You know, because we hear the headlines, but like, what is it really like to be that person? Exactly. And how can I be a better neighbor to that person yes. in a way where it's like, okay, I I, I want you to be you. Yes. So what things can I do to help you be a better, like I was talking earlier about being, just being all nationalistic as an American holding my passport yep. and being like, how can I, how can I make things a little bit more comfortable without standing in judgment because I don't understand you or yes. because I'm ignorant to you because I've never encountered someone who is dealing with that particular situation. Yes, you absolutely. Know? To be an ally and to really be supportive. And I think as you're so right. It's about fear and not knowing. And people just don't know. And there's so much stigma around talking about this stuff. And there right. just shouldn't be. And one thing I've learned, and very quickly, Girl Boner taught me, that when you start the conversation, people will join in. Yeah. So that has been the biggest blessing, I think. And, you know, it's a challenge, too, because I, again, am used to, as a writer, I get to you know, refine things and my articles go to editors and my books went to editors. Right. And when you're in the studio and just talking... It's totally different. It's, and so it's been a lesson in perfectionism and going, it's mm. okay to say, um, now and then it's, you're a human, <laughs> you know, or maybe yeah. you didn't ask the question the way you wanted to. Who cares? It's, it's more organic and, yeah. and people will, you know, you don't need to be so hard on yourself. I agree. I, I do feel like I've been listening to a lot of different, uh, different shows and paying way more attention to podcasting than I had before. Mm. And, um, you know what? I'm I'm gonna. Uh, speaking of podcasting and and people, I want to take a moment real quick to share uh, share something and then come back to this because I can see this going in a different direction. But Great. I I do want to take a moment to uh to to share something that's become already a very very popular uh, part of the show. And uh, and again, thank you so much for your suggestion about it when we had a conversation about sure. about ways of doing this. But uh, it's our friends at Bookable have uh, provided pro tips. And uh, this week's pro tip is courtesy of Bookable VO. And here is Rick to share uh, a pro tip for all of you. So here it is. Hey, this is Rick Wasserman from Bookable VoiceOver Coaching and Demos with another tip. I think there's an important distinction between your voice and your read. For me, your voice is the sound that you make with your instrument, meaning your lungs, teeth, tongue, vocal cords, breath control. It's the technical sound that comes out of your mouth. Your read is something different. Your read includes your voice, but it also includes everything that makes up who you are. Your opinions, your sense of humor, your eccentricities, your regionalisms, your musicality, all the things that make you, you. You could have identical twins that have identical voices, but they have completely different reads. Why? Because they have completely different personalities. So when you're auditioning for a voiceover or putting together your demo, don't worry so much about making sure your voice is heard. What we want to hear is your read. That was Rick Wasserman with with Bookable VO, and uh, of course you can check him out for both coaching and for demos at bookablevo.com. Thanks again, uh, guys, and thank you, Rick, for that. And thanks again to August for joining. Like you're joining in the middle. Like if you've downloaded <laughs> this podcast and you've just skipped ahead to 39 minutes to like, oh, let's see what's going on. Joining, well, so so welcome back. Lovely. Um, I, no, what was interesting to me was I. I I had Sirius XM and was listening to uh, – primarily kept it to listen to comedy and, and Howard Stern. And and I really enjoyed his show, but he was throwing a lot of shade on podcasting. And it was kind of like, well, uh, all right. That's fine. 
Um, but I, I was kind of ignorant about it. Mm. And a good friend of mine um, who is a music director at Second City, a guy named Chad Kruger, is now the producer of The Hooray Show. And it was the first sort of podcast that I started to listen to with any regularity. And I was like, this is so much fun. There's so much freedom and space. And yeah, it's not being broadcast on KABC, but who cares? There's real benefits to that. Yeah. There really is. I mean, we have so much freedom. For, first of all, I would get kicked off off a lot of networks, even though my show is really clean. Yes. Um, because because there is still stigma and taboo and there's certain places that would say, oh, you said sex or whatever. Um, But also we are in control of like you can provide quality tips instead of having like an ad every five minutes or, you know, and I think there's beauty in both. And I really respect kind of traditional, you know, radio and stuff like that. But I feel like it's on demand radio, basically. I mean, it's on demand, but it's but it's something more because I really do feel like people get to feel like they're part of it. Yes, I agree. There, the the specialized nature of it that if you're interested, like if you are someone who's interested in either VO or audiobooks or whatever, or you just link into the personality of who's talking and you mm-hmm. just completely jump on board. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to my brother yesterday and he listens to, oh, I was real loading the name into, it's a show called You Made It Weird and the podcast, and he talks to all kinds of folks and it's not Mike Kaplan. It'll come to me later. I'll yeah. put it in the postscript. But like, this uh, it's just it's exciting to be a part of it and to be a voice in it yeah absolutely absolutely i think we're so lucky it's such an exciting time you know i think there's so much that so much freedom and so much opportunity and it's it's growing i think you know people sit in their cars and traffic and and listen or working out i actually listen to podcasts at the gym pretty often i do too it's so fun and it's it's like makes it so much more enjoyable yeah it really truly does Mm -hmm. well what were some of the challenges that you ran into as you were in the process of kind of developing your show and and the run that you've had so far some of the some of the some of the you know those barriers yes those hurdles Yeah, my Sepulveda. Yeah. Um, I well, first of all, iTunes rejected my art, my cover art, for a while, and we had a really hard time getting that approved. Really. And it's interesting because my original logo, and I still use it for some things, but it's basically like a woman's midsection, but there's a big heart where her underwear would be. Okay. You can't see anything underneath the heart. Yeah. And it says "girl boner" on it, but it's obviously a crotch, right? Right. So I think it's kind of brilliant. I love it, but um, <laughs> a little biased. Um, but iTunes apparently thought that that was too vulgar. Whereas when I went to their health and fitness section, there are so many images of women, you know, very scantily clad, almost pornographic looking images, you know, great that they have the freedom to do that. But as soon as you put it into the context of women's sexuality, I and I've had that block along the way in my path, which is kind of affirming because I'm like, okay, I had this decision to make. I can either fight with iTunes or I can get my freaking show on there. So I just decided and, and Gabe said, why don't we just use your face and we just put the heart from the girl boner. Which turned out great because yeah. I can use that for many things. And um, it's, you know, as the host, it's kind of nice. It gives it a personal feel and it's fine. The, the goal was to get the show out there. Yeah. So that that was a big, big challenge. Um, and then, you know, starting to secure sponsorships, that was a big learning curve for me. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important for anyone listening who has any kind of show or blog or whatever, if you're thinking, oh, I could never have sponsorship, you have to think outside the box like we were talking about. And I think there are so many ways for creatives to make money doing what they do, having your podcast, whatever it is, that are not kind of the conventional things. And you just take that creativity you use in your daily life and go, hey, how can I use this to actually make it fun for me to get somebody to jump on board who I can support and work with? And that brought challenges, too, because, you know, one relationship that I have with a sponsor didn't go very well. Mm. I learned from it. I moved on. No bad blood. You know, like it's okay. Um, And yeah. And then actually asking people to invest in me. That was probably the hardest thing. What what was what was what was the challenge of that? You know, it's funny. I think that throughout all of my healing that I did with my body and my sexuality and my self-acceptance, yeah. I hadn't really dipped into the financial part of that. And I don't think that they're totally separable. Like if if you have this major challenge embracing yourself as a person, it's going to affect your finances. Like I think yeah. that it ref- you can't compartmentalize that much. And I had been. So I didn't realize that... I, I had some of these lingering attitudes, kind of that money was 
maybe negative. Like I used to always say, I'm not really a money person. Like I yeah. don't really care about the money. Yeah. <laughs> Almost as though that that made me a better person somehow. And I feel like our values too are like, especially growing up, like you mentioned, like your grandfather was a pastor. They were missionaries. And that, you know, I mean, I grew up in the Calvinist tradition and it's very, while well, finances is part of it and that you take care of your business, it's also like, well, you're not just going to be about the money, are you? Yeah. You're not just about the money. Shame on you. There are things more important than money. So, so that So that there's – and it's the root of all evil and all these other parts mm-hmm. so that we, we do in a way, especially given our tradition – Try to divorce ourselves from that notion. Yes. And I, I, I know I'm, I'm r- r- much more quick to give something away than try to sell it. Yes. You know, and, and I'm fine with it because I'm making money elsewhere and it's not out of necessity, but, but, but there is that sense of, I feel like I'm doing my, my <laughs> duty of being a good covenant youth by, not yeah totally i think that yeah that's definitely part of it we're kind of like groomed to see you know financial wealth as a as a sinful thing sort of so yeah i really had to examine my attitudes and i realized that i love to give too and i can give more if i make more Mm -hmm. and i can build my company more if i have people invest in me and what helps me the most probably is instead of thinking I need to ask this person to give me money, you know, yeah. invest in me. I think of the people I want to help. Mm-hmm. And I think of the people who write to me and tell me they're really, really, really dark stories who are really lost right now mm-hmm. and who, you know, need help. And knowing that as I build, if I, that gives me power and more freedom to do more good. That that really helps that and just jumping in and doing it because like the first call I had with a potential sponsor, I almost peed my pants. I was so <laughs> nervous. Like it was the most nervous I've been in. I don't even know how long. Yeah. But you get through it and then it's easier the next time. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I felt that too. Yeah. It's scary, it's right? It At is. First, because you're putting uh... it out there and you feel there's that that sense of I'm, I'm going to put my hand out. Or, yeah. I, there's this stupid line from an Indiana Jones movie. think. <laughs> Or it's no, it's 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 Patriot Games where Harrison Ford says, "I'm not coming in here with my hat in my hand," and there's such contempt for that that notion, and I use that phrase all the time, and and uh, and I feel like like there's an element of standing there with a standing there turning a hat. I was wondering if I might be able to have a conversation about the possibility of you working with me, you know, like this <laughs> yeah. this this supplication yeah. versus yes. coming at it of like I I have. A value add, and I'm one. Yeah. I want to invite you to to share in that. Yes, exactly, you exactly. Know? Let's let's collaborate. You yeah. know, let's partner and take what you're doing that's awesome, and what I'm doing that's awesome, and, and do more awesome, better, make more awesome. That's yeah. right, and yeah. that's what's been really great about this relationship with Bookable is that I feel like you know what what Rick and Greg have shared has been an, a wonderful extra value beyond being a guest. Yes. And that's exactly how I feel. I have Dr. Megan Fleming is my like resident expert yeah. sexologist. She's a, a therapist, a, a psychologist, and she takes a question from a listener every week. Which oh, that's great. I couldn't I mean I can give my my take, sure. but I'm not a psychologist. I right. give my own opinion. <laughs> but it's so nice to have somebody who is working with couples every single day. Yeah. And uh and then the pleasure chest is my my newer product company oh, sponsor. Great. And they're fantastic and I believe in them so much that when I talk about them, I get so freaking excited because they were like one of the first companies to really be inclusive for all gender identities yeah. and um, sexual orientations. And they educate and they provide free workshops all over the country. So it's, you know, and and saying no has been powerful, too. Like mm. having I've had sponsorship uh, requests from some companies that are not in line with my values. Yeah. And it's really important for I think and this applies to life in general, but if it's if it doesn't sit right in your gut, there's a reason, you know, and there's some real power in saying, you know what, I value what is happening here too much to take that. Because, again, it's not like we're des- we sh- shouldn't be desperate for the money. Right. You know, come from a place of this is my uh, this is my gift that I'm cultivating that I would love to work with somebody like minded with. Yes. And if you're somebody that could potentially hurt that or your products could potentially hurt my listeners then there's an emotional cost and i don't i'm not going there yeah well good for you i think that's important you know you when you defining the scope of your of of what 
the topic is and in particular what's motivating the topic. It's not just topic. Mm-hmm. It's not just you know, for me, it's not just voiceover. So everything associated with voiceover, I will absolutely allow to participate. Right. I, I want someone who's like-minded and, and focus and in wellness and helpfulness and growing and positivity and yeah. energy and very much it's uh sorry, but like the image in my head is is Gasto from from Ratatouille, the <laughs> Pixar, where it says everybody can cook. And I, I believe that I believe that about about this. I think yeah. everybody's point of view is is unique mm-hmm. and interesting. And if you have a passion to share it, then you should, even if it's with someone else or if you have a well, that's the nature of sharing is with someone else. But but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. if, if you, you know, so so grab a microphone, get a totally. USB mic, plug it into a laptop, sit down with your brother or your sister or your neighbor and share. Get yeah. I want to hear veteran stories. I want to I want to hear stories. Yes. You know? Yeah, stories are the most one of the most powerful tools I think we have in this world. Yeah, historically, I mean that's how we've learned everything, and it's so important. And not everyone, you know, wants to sit down at the mic per se. But like you said, you can talk to a friend, you can journal about it, yeah. you can paint about it, you can sing about it. Like, yeah. But but letting things out, and that's something that that whole path, like talking about the acting, you have to deal in some way, yeah. and expressing, and really sometimes I think our creativity is much more willing to to spill out than our real selves when we're feeling a little lost, you know? Yes. So it's important to to let yourself, however it is that works for you. Man, I, I just like with my, with my daughter lately, it's been interesting. She's really taken to drawing and I, we bought her some like Manga books or manga. I don't know exactly how to pronounce that correctly, but like books of how to do that stuff. And then I've taken to sitting down with her and doing drawing and, you know, and not getting twisted up about how good the drawing is. Yeah. But just to do it and like discovering like the, like, um, if you take the, the, uh, at Disney California Adventure, there is the animation studio uh, experience. And you go in there and they teach you how to draw one of the characters. Okay. And the guy who's drawing always there's – no, there's no erasers in there and that's on purpose. Ooh. So that it's like you take this big old pencil, that like a kindergarten pencil, and, <laughs> and, and then you just make a, like a, a ton of really light circles. And then, and then when you find the right circle, that's the one you draw in hard. That's ah. the one you keep. And that idea, to me, is really profound in terms of all creative endeavors. Yeah. Just lightly draw a, a but a bunch. Yeah. And give yourself room to make mistakes, and nothing is permanent. Just just build it and trust that if you that if you explore, you will find the right path. Mm. But you got to be open to creating. A lot of different options. Yeah, not stopping yourself when you feel like you failed. Right. You know, that's huge. What a beautiful message. I think also what you just said about doing something that you don't have any sort of like expectation from is so important. I think it's important for every everyone, but especially creatives who have some sense of creativity in their main work. Yeah. To have creative outlets that are not about work. You know, like I'll sing and play guitar or, you know, stuff, stuff that's not I'm not doing this to try to, you know, build my brand or to reach more people. Right. But just to be. I think it's really important. I do, too. I mean, even just if you I think as the the take home that I've gotten out of every time where I've been at at the lowest point has been just to find find inspiration in something. I remember in Cleveland during that time. um there was a a DVD that came out of the collected music videos of Mark Romanek, who is a filmmaker who made the film One Hour Photo with Robin Williams. Ooh. Brilliant film. Yeah, I loved it. But his music videos, he did a bunch of stuff with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And there's this one video called Can't Stop. And it's just – it's all inspired by one-minute sculptures by this artist. And they would they had a bunch of props, like a big purple hippo head, and they're in a big white studio with – uh, pens and Lego bricks and just all kinds of madness. And he just let them go and they're playing the music and then they're sitting in giant dumpsters and it's just, and then they're like, there's one bit where 
Anthony is sticking as many pens as he possibly can into every orifice of flea. And it's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. It's just hilarious. And it, but that crazy little music video reminded me that it doesn't have to be good. Mm. It just has to be created. It just needs to be. I love that. Bring it out. Yeah. And I remember I wrote him a fan, you know, email. I was like, I, I, uh, just so you know, thank you. That mm. was really helpful. And I ended up, Getting to work with him in a commercial here, oh, I got to Los Angeles. That's I didn't crazy. even know it was Mark Romanic until like <laughs> I looked it up on iSpot. I was like, "Oh my god! Oh, oh my no! God. <laughs> I, <laughs> I worked him. with him. I didn't know he directed me. Oh my that's god! Amazing! And after the launch of Call of Duty Ghosts, like the trailer for this Whoa, like, video game, yeah. that's amazing. But I don't know. I I I I love you know, I I, I love your story and your. Um, you know, your commitment to to wellness and sharing your journey and helping other people find find their, you know, good place and being being even if it's just one stretch of support to help someone get on the rising action of their life. Mm-hmm. And and that that this is your medium in conjunction with your writing to do that. Uh, I think it's it's wonderful and it's you know it's exciting to be a part of. But uh, I mean, I just after listening to a couple episodes already, I've just been so thrilled by what you're doing. Thank you. And That's I've so learned a great to deal too. You know, is like because that was one of the concerns I had is like I'm a male and you know, yeah, like that doesn't disqualify me from learning. No, no, <laughs> I love that all genders listen to my show. Yeah, and occasionally I hear from uh, some a man who will who will kind of hush hush like it's, it's okay I watch listen to this right like I love it like my my tagline is where good girls go for sexual empowerment so I yeah. think sometimes they're like I wasn't invited but actually it's for everyone <laughs> yeah. the the good girl part comes from the fact that I grew up like a good girl you yeah. know and I was rebellious but only for like good causes so it was never like ed sex was never really considered one of those yeah and so good was never paired with so i really i think anybody who cares about women's sexuality or just living a full life you know and not all of my topics are specifically to do with sex you know it's everything it's about arousing your whole life and sexuality is a is a big big theme but yeah i love i love that you can relate and and feel like there's some takeaways for you that's important to me and as a husband and a father of a little girl i want to be able to raise her with a healthy attitude about herself yeah you know i think there's a real value in that and um you know yeah, dads play a huge role in how girls grow up feeling about themselves and their yeah. bodies. And I think that, unfortunately, our culture has somewhat, for all kinds of complex reasons, not been as welcoming for men in that conversation. Hmm. So I think it's really important and wonderful that that you're open to that. And that is on your radar. That's just a big – because I think a lot of times it's just parents don't want to think about their kids ever being sexual. But it's like they were born sexual creatures. It doesn't right. mean they're going to have sex when they're little, but it just means that that's part of their beautiful bodies and their beautiful selves. And when they have questions, answer them and right. don't don't shame them. And that's, that's it. Be there. Yeah. Open communication. Right. Yeah. I mean, I we we say all the time, I'm not raising a kid, I'm raising an adult. Mm, I like that. And, you know, and th- and this is part of it. Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, my parents did exactly what they to the to the best of their ability to what they need to do. And my mom was very very open and um, you know, but it was still like when I was the first one in our family to go through puberty. I was the first one to mm. begin to express interest in sexuality and that kind of stuff and and then and then you're bumping up against the puritanical morality versus yeah. being a visual a uh, very visual person and vi- visual stimulus is what was really what it was all about for me yeah. that like not being able to have access to those things cuz it was the mid 80s so which like which makes you want it more which makes you want it more <laughs> yeah. and and you know so it's like i had my little stash of playboys and then mm-hmm. i'd go away to summer camp or something and come back and my little stash of playboys was gone <laughs> and it was you know yeah. it was and yeah. I, and you know all it all it's all it's really served to do was just kind of enrage you a little bit of like yeah. it's a violation of privacy and that's my own stuff and whether it's contraband or not holy cow it's like the one thing i'm doing you know yeah. what I mean? and like, and suggesting that that's bad suggesting right. that it's bad that you're curious and want to see and and now and actually my topic for my show today is 
porn versus real sex, like huh. what we learn, because now kids as young as four and five years old are seeing porn on their phones and their smart devices right. and whatever the computer. Unlimited access. It's unlimited. Be... And they're not learning it other places. So, right. of course, you know, that's where they're going to go. It's it's easy access. So it's yeah, it's an important conversation. And uh, I think it's most parents do the best they can. And they weren't right. taught much either. <laughs> So what are they supposed to right. say? I mean, we, yeah, I had a, I my 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 parents had a very healthy attitude about it, and our I remember right before my right before I got married, my dad gave me a packet that was like you know information, <laughs> but it was it wasn't you know it was it was mechanical. It was yeah. stuff that I already understood, and then sure. there were there are things about women that I didn't understand, and I know that as as a partner and as a husband and all those things, I want to please my wife. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. like I feel like that's still missing out of the conversation. It really is. Yeah. Like our sex ed talks about for for girls now. They talk about the internal sex organs Hmm. as though like the clitoris doesn't even exist really. Like it might be on a chart, but it's not – I mean that thing is like pleasure powerhouse and the way that most women climax. And so to not know that about yourself and to – while boys are much more kind of – you know, boys will be boys, they say. They're yeah. going to be sexual and they're very interested and that's normal. But for girls, uh, not so much. And yeah, so it's it's really interesting. We have a long way to go. But that's another yeah. reason that podcasting is so great because there are actually a lot of sexuality podcasts out there yeah. and, and, and sex educators who are out there. And I think there's a lot of clinicians who it, it sometimes it's more technical. Sometimes it's woven into stories and whatnot. And I like to be the in-between thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I love that. And I, I love also, like, both of us have mentioned the variety of voices that are out there in this discussion mm-hmm. in the podcast world and that your uniqueness is what makes it special. Yeah. You know? And in, in, in VO, it's like what Rick was just saying, too, about, like, your your voice versus your read, how you interpret what's what's you and and what's and what's needed and i just had a conversation yesterday with with uh you know with someone about specifically about that about like just because other people are doing it we put so much value on the originals yeah and and not like i know that i'm not the first guy to do a voiceover podcast but i'm the only guy to do a voiceover podcast that sounds like all over voiceover yeah. You know? Yeah, and you're you're you bring your uniqueness. It's so true. Like I didn't listen to any sexuality podcast at all before starting my show. Yeah. Because I didn't want them to I had a vision and I knew that for my show I wanted like a you know, a kind of an official start to it. Yes. Like I often have like quotes or stats at the beginning. I wanted like certain certain pieces and I I could see it and feel it. And I knew that because I was so new that insecurity could have me comparing and all this stuff. Sure. And I'm really glad I didn't listen to those then because I'm completely different. And now it's interesting because every once in a while I have to remind myself that it's great that I'm different. But there are times when, you know, as you move along, you get to sort of this, they call it in writing, they call it the muddy middle of the novel where you're writing Mm. and the beginning, you're really excited. The ending's really exciting, the climax. But there's like this muddy middle part where you're like, I can't make this interesting or you get kind of stuck. You don't know where the plot's going to go. And the same thing with the career path of a podcast. I think it's really exciting at first and you're totally ignorant because you're new. So you're like, woo, this is exciting. You're running at a high. And then as you start moving forward and and gaining more clout, you know, you get to, there's a little bit more kind of pressure to be good, for example. Yeah. There's more people listening. There's more people watching. There's more people critiquing you and you will hear some harsh criticism and all that. And so I've had to at certain times just kind of remind myself like this is where you're supposed to be. You don't have to don't don't get compare yourself syndrome. Right. You know, step away, go out in nature, hike it off. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Value the people who enjoy what you have to say. And if people are not tuning into this, who it's cares? not your target audience. It's not your target audience. Yeah. They, do, they don't care in what you have to say. And that's fine. Yeah. They, There's something let, else for them. That's right. Go go find it. Yeah. It's but really for, true. for those who do and those who now are interested in finding out more about about what you're doing with Girl Boner, tell me tell my audience 
audience how they can find you and listen to your show and read your blog and follow you on Twitter and stuff Thank like that. Thank you. Sure. Well, my website is augustmclaughlin.com. And the easiest way to spell that is augustmcmc and then laugh, L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N.com. And you can find everything there. There's the link to the podcast on iTunes. I do show extras every week. And then I have a mailing list. And I actually just added a fun new gift. It's a guided uh, audio meditation oh, wow. that I recorded here. So if they sign up for my mailing list, they get extras every month, about every month, and they get this free gift just emailed to them. And you can just download it on your phone. It's less than three minutes. That's awesome. And it's a self-love, self-embracement type of me- meditation. So it's totally rated G. It's great for kids, too. Fantastic. Um, and then, yeah, I'm on all the social media places. Uh, the Facebook page is my face mygirlboner.com so facebook slash mygirlboner.com and on twitter it's my name but my name is like one letter too long so it says Auguste McLaughlin (laughs) but you can find me just google hashtag girlboner and I pop up everywhere can I just say also in terms of the artwork that you wound up choosing for iTunes and stuff I really like it Mm. I like it I like in particular the expression on your face in that it feels like it tells me what the tone of your show is, mm. that it's aspirational and and that you're – that it's light and that it's fun and that it's accessible. I found that uh, – well, there it is. Thank so I, I, I'm, I'm glad – I'm sorry that iTunes put you through that. But I'm very happy for you the of outcome. where you wound out that the out that the outcome is is what it is because I do feel like it matches the show very very well oh, and good. that there's there's a brightness to it that um, that I really enjoy so I encourage everyone to to check out your show. Thank you. I'm so happy to hear that. I actually had a friend tell me that in my signature on my emails she said you should really have your face in there instead of a big girl boner crotch because I, I don't sometimes i have to remind myself that not everybody talks about sex like they're talking about the weather right which is kind of how i feel yeah so i have to like tone myself down and be like okay i'll be the here's my nice face now let's talk about sex in private right <laughs> i like how you whisper in private into the microphone <laughs> yeah because this is actually where it belongs yes it's so true Awesome. August, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It was you a bet. blast. I uh, had a wonderful time. And also, thank you to Bookable Voice Coaching and Demos. You can find them at bookablevo.com. And you can find me right here, right uh, right, uh, right now, uh, a week from the future, uh, doing a brand new show, a brand new episode of Oliver Voice over Kip VH. Thanks again so much for joining me. Mies, Mies is a new pronoun for us. I like it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Take care, you guys. This has been All Over VoiceOver with Kiff VH. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and give us a positive rating. It truly helps. Follow me on Twitter at KiffVH or on Instagram at KiffVH or on Vero at KiffVH. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon. Claim victory and depart the field. Werewolf? Yeah.